Good morning. You can go ahead and be seated. Um, Father, thank you so much for today. We thank you for the ability to sing out to you and raise a hallelujah. You are so good in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, my name's Cameron, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And as Matt said, he invited me to talk this morning about pride. And I tried not to take it personally because it felt like (laughs) this is a test. Ah, pride. You know, when I think about pride, um, one of the things I'm most prideful about is the Kansas Jayhawks. Yes, there's there's a couple of us, and uh, and I love the Kansas Jayhawks. And um, when basketball season is going, it's like it's my wife's like praying for them to win because if they don't then it's a, a rough day, a rough week. And uh, then there's football season, which is just a rough season. It's like they don't even show up to play. But back in February, which feels like an eternity ago, I was at, um, took a trip to Kansas and to see my family. My dad and I went to a KU game. It's hard, hard to imagine anymore right now, like what that feels like. The electricity of a room packed with fans cheering for, for a game. But, and there's one of my favorite players right now, Mitch Lightfoot. Um, you know, this is a, Matt talked about last week, being a name dropper. I threw this picture up here because I like name dropping. You know, hey, I got to meet Mitch Lightfoot. And then my favorite part, you walk into Fog Allen Fieldhouse and there it is, pay heed. All who enter, beware of the fog. I wanted to put that banner above my house. My wife wouldn't let me. (laughs) But, and then they got all these trophies, all of these accomplishments, all of these things. And we have built, in some ways, these mecca arenas of pride. No matter what your team or sport is. Now, I'm not hating on sports, hating on, you know, any of that. I love it. But I think it's evidence that all of us love to win. All of us want to accomplish something great, and we like to celebrate with everybody else that's rooting for the same thing that we are, but it can also be kind of dangerous because pride, when it's full-blown, it's really, really ugly, and we see those people, and you'll see them today if you're watching football. <laughs> they'll have, you know, painted faces, and they'll be waving the flags, and, uh, but not just in the sports world. Everywhere, every area of life, we see people that have become so filled with pride that we're like, we see that. But more often, and what happens for me is is that pride is kind of this quiet motivator. It's like sitting just beneath the surface. It's something that's almost imperceptible until it rears its ugly head. And that's, That's what we have to be aware of because that kind of pride doesn't just exist on the basketball court or on the football field. That kind of pride exists everywhere we go in in all of us. I love this. So Sarah last week had an alliteration of four Ps and I thought, hey, if Sarah did it, I could do it, right? So I got an alliteration for you because she said that Matt didn't like him and he's not preaching this week, so... um, Andy Stanley 
talks about um, the three P people, okay? Three P people. These are people that have power, people that have prestige, and people that have possessions. And these are the people that are most susceptible to pride and arrogance. Three P people. Power is, you know, we typically think of this as somebody that just has a position of power. But you can have authority and control without just the position. And prestige, prestige worldwide. It's popularity, admiration, deserving of respect. And then possessions, wealth, net worth, excessive possessions. Can you think of somebody in your mind that empowers all of these? We probably can. It doesn't take long for us to think of somebody or one of them individually. But here's, here's what's interesting about this. So recent uh, calculations say that there's about 7.8 billion people on our planet. It's interesting when you see it just written up there with all those zeros. 7.8 billion people. And everybody watching today, everybody in this room, is most likely in the top 1% of the population on our planet. Which means that we have power, prestige, and possessions. We are 3P people. I'm a 3P person. Whether we like to acknowledge it or not, we are. We have weight. We have control. We can control our own destiny to a degree. We can accumulate possessions. We can accumulate wealth. And we can accumulate popularity. Because every single one of us today wants to be recognized, admired, sought after, and envied. It's there. Now, you know what, oh, I'm sorry. This probably doesn't make sense to you. It means friended, followed, liked, or mentioned. (laughs) Does that hit closer to home? Tim Keller talks about an idol is, is a good thing that we make an ultimate thing. And that's where pride comes into play. When we've elevated ourselves and lowered somebody else, that's what pride is. Increasing the value of yourself while lowering the value of others. The definition of pride today, though, I think is me or I. The world revolves around me. So I'm going to step on some toes real quick because I think that there's a little device in our pockets that's called an iPhone. And somehow with this little device, I have access to so much power. I can have a huge following. I can have all the prestige I want. And at the click of a button, it's amazing. You get packages on your front doorstep and uh, it's, it's accessed right there. But that's the danger of, of a device like this, is that all of a sudden I can become the complete center of my world. And I don't even have to be around anybody else. I can do it all through the technology of my phone. Um, one pastor called this a narcissistic device. 
because it, all it does is it puffs me up, builds me up. Well, I can just lob throwing darts or bullets or grenades or whatever you want to say at other people and tear them down. There's an um, Amsterdam light festival every year in Amsterdam. And they invite artists and creators and collaborators and sociologists, and they create this incredible festival where you can walk around because it's so cold in winter, and you can look at all these incredible sculptures and lights. And I came across this picture. It's called Absorbed by Light. And they made it as a critique of our current cultural moment. You can be sitting right next to somebody, but the light is shining on yourself. And then I came across this quote, which I've used this before, and maybe you've heard this before, and I think it's so good. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. We are all responsible for the way we wield our power and possessions and popularity and prestige. We're all responsible for the way in which we live each and every day, paying attention to the people around us, puffing ourselves up, lowering the value of others. And it's easy to look out there Right? Look at them. Look at that person. But Jesus invites us to look in here. And sometimes that's uncomfortable, right? That's, that's uncomfortable. And so we have a story in 1 Samuel. And we've been walking through, and last week we heard about Hannah. She had a son named Samuel, and that's what the book is named after. Samuel served as kind of the last prophet or judge in Israel's history. And uh, he's a focal point in, in the story, but not in the character we're supposed to see. He's kind of like a wise, sage kind of mentor. The character that really stands out to us, and there's two, are, are Saul and David. And we're going to talk about David next week, but today we want to talk a little bit about Saul, King Saul. And leading up to King Saul, I call it the tragic story of King Saul, but leading up to King Saul, we see this in 1 Samuel 8. The people were, prior to this, were being led by judges, and God was, was their guide. God was their king. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us, to go out before us, and to fight our battles. See, Saul was trying, or Samuel was trying to convince them, you don't need a king. You already have a king. You don't need somebody to rule over you, because you already do. But comparison, well, that can lead to pride, right? And they started seeing all these other kingdoms, and it's hard. It's hard to live a life that's differently than everybody else. It's, it's, it's a challenge to be committed to something that nobody else is committed to. 
And so they gave in. They said, well, we see everybody else has this. Everybody else has an iPhone. I want an iPhone, you know? And so God, in his mercy, in his love, this is just like God. He gives them exactly what they want. Because he's not going to force them. That's not love. He's going to open up his hands and say, okay, that's the path you choose. Then so be it. But then I love this. It says, it is not you they have rejected, Samuel. They have rejected me as their king. God took it extremely personally. They've rejected me by trying to pursue a kingship when I'm their king. Enter Saul. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was, I love this, a head taller than anyone else. He should be recruited for the Kansas Jayhawks. <laughs> actually, I love the NASB actually says he was a choice and handsome man, and there was not more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. Ladies, tall, dark, handsome, He's got it going on, King Saul. And he's from a small tribe of Benjamin, which is kind of like he's a Midwestern kid, you know? <laughs> Maybe from Kansas. <laughs> and then the Spirit of God rested on him. It says that he was anointed by God to a calling. I mean... That's good, right? You can't get, you couldn't pick a better candidate than that. It's like, yeah, everybody, yes, King Saul, he's the guy. And he's got humble beginnings, you know, and he's tall, dark, handsome, he's got everything going on. And then he's anointed, which just raises the bar. What do you think Saul did with the blessings that God gave him? And it started really slow. It was kind of that imperceptible, like, oh, I just, I didn't do everything you asked, God. I just did most of what you asked. And then I did this other thing. And, and God was like, no, you need to do everything I've asked of you. If you're going to be king, and this is going to go well for you. And Samuel, even, he was having this conversation with God, and the people wanted, you know, they wanted a king, and Samuel's telling them, he says, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. He's talking to the people of Israel. I'm sure that Saul heard him say this, though. He said, consider what great things he has done for you, God has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. He gives them this warning because it starts going downhill really fast. You wanted a king, you got a king. Here's what the king does. No, no, no. I don't want to do that. And this cycle begins, and we see it throughout Scripture. It's fascinating. I mean, read your stinking Bibles is what Matt always says. I mean, it just plays out time and time again. You get these people that are set up for success, and God blesses them. And then they hold on to it. They try to do their own thing with it. They don't give gratitude or thanksgiving to God. They become prideful. And pride comes before the fall. Yeah. Pride comes before the fall. 
And it epitomizes in this verse, 1 Samuel 15, verse 12. It's decision time for Saul. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. (laughs) Is the monument of your life a monument to yourself? Have you fallen prey (laughs) to the lurking enemy of pride that wages war within your heart? I think we all have the potential to do that. Because pride and selfishness, it's it's hungry. It has an appetite. The more you give it, the more you, it wants, right? The more you take, the more you want. And it just is, is relentless. You just feed it. It grows. It's never fully satisfied. And pride rages war inside of us, sometimes silent for a long time. But then you start to recognize the casualties of pride in your life are other people and God. You've become an enemy of God. Because you can't be king and God be king at the same time. You've usurped God as king of your life if you want to be the king of your life. And nobody else can exist there either. No, I want to be king. I want to be queen. I want to be in charge. Let me know how that works in marriage, raising kids, being a manager or a leader. I mean, every area of life, the casualties are the people that we should be caring most about. And the Lord, who's given us every blessing upon blessing upon blessing that we've received. I love this. In in the book of James, says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Pride is about dethroning God. And see, here's the, here's the problem, because if you want to be a prideful person, just hold on with all of your might what you never even had to start with. And we get to this place where we think, I'm deserving of this. I've earned this. It's the middle class pride, right? So I've paid my own way. Why does everybody else have this? Well, because they just haven't worked hard enough. It's the elitist pride that I've just been granted this. I was born into it. I shouldn't feel bad about anybody else. I'm just going to hold on to this. But that will wage war on your soul if you continue to try to hold on to the thing that came from God in the first place. And that's how you break the chain that we see through these kings in 1 Samuel and throughout the rest of the Bible. That's why we need a true king. That's why Jesus comes back as king, to show the right way to do it, not to hold on, but when you experience blessing, to humble yourself and give it back to God and to bless other people and to love. 
The question is not whether or not we're blessed. We're all blessed. I'm blessed. You're blessed. It's what are you going to do with the blessings in your life? So take an inventory, just a few questions to help you explore the pride in your own, own life. When do you find yourself looking down on others for their lack of talents, success, or ambitions? Some of us, this is daily because we're in a cutthroat kind of job environment, you know? When you accomplish something, is your first response to pat yourself on the back? Or is it to thank God? When is it difficult for you, for you to encourage and compliment other people? Oh, man, they just got that. I really wanted that. <laughs> when are you quick to criticize or point out the flaws in others? And for me, it's especially when people make poor decisions, right? Oh, that was a poor decision. We saw how that worked out for them. Do you find yourself interrupting people when they're talking and trying to talk more about yourself? I can almost guarantee we've all done this. When are you slow to express gratitude to God and others or to give them the credit that they deserve? And then what causes you to be easily offended? Asking these questions can help you uncover what are the areas of my life that have the most power, prestige, or possessions that I, I probably need to do some work inside and take an inventory in my heart. These are difficult questions to, to answer. But the root of it is this, okay? Remember who it's from and remember who is for. God blessed Israel to become a light to the nations. And he gave them everything that they had. That's, that's the story of King Saul. We're supposed to see ourselves in this story. God has blessed us, each and every one of us. What do we do with that blessing? And if we're wondering, like, what, what does that look like? How do, we, how do we do that? I think we need to do a deep exploration of Jesus. I love this in Philippians. Apostle Paul is talking about do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit and humility. Value others above yourself. Don't look to your own interests, but to the interests of everyone else. And then he says this, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. No, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. And having become human, he stayed human. <laughs> I love it. This is a message translation. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. And then he died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Jesus is the model of what we do with pride. 
The opposite of pride is, is humility. But, but the way we deal with pride, that's to praise and worship God, remember who it's from, and to love other people, to lay your life down for other people. That will be the cure for pride in your life. And it will take a while. It's a humbling process. And if we ever get worried about, well, how do we do that? What does that look like? We have a symbol in our life of the cross that is reminding us each and every day that you have been purchased with a price. You are worth it to God. You have been loved incredibly, incredibly by your God who gave himself everything. He gave up deity. I mean, if anybody had a reason to be prideful, it was Jesus. And, and, And Satan came and tried to tempt him and tried to distract him from his mission and tried to throw him off that course. And Jesus said, no. And if you want to follow me, you have to do the same thing. You have to take up the cross and follow me. You have to lay down your life for the benefit of other people. You have to lay down your pride and your arrogance. And all, you have to do a, a, a difficult inventory of your life of where am I prideful? And that road where that leads you will be where you need to give back to God and to other people. Just imagine the legacy King Saul would have left if he would have done this if he would have humbled himself and been grateful to God. And imagine the legacy, the monument we could build in our lives if we did the same thing. Not a monument to ourselves, but a monument to serving and loving God's people. Everybody, no matter their tribe or color or background, to love people across the aisle to love everybody, not, not just the people that look like me, not just the people that make me feel good about myself, not just the people that wear KU jerseys, but everybody. So here's how you can combat pride in your life. These, these three things for us to practice this week as we get ready to wrap up. Number one, pray for somebody else. And if you really want to do the challenging thing, pray for your enemy. Start every prayer praying for somebody else. We tend to pray about us and our, our own situation. Pray for somebody else, practice that. Number two, practice giving up your power and prestige and possessions. Go through your closet. Go through your house. Do I have too much? Am I holding on to this too tightly? Let somebody else make the decision for a change. Let somebody else lead the staff meeting. Let somebody else have the power. Intentionally, not because you have to, but intentionally, lift up other people while you lower yourself. Practice this. The only way we get good at this is by practicing. Giving up things that we're holding tight to. And number three, praise and worship God. And that's the position God wants us to continually come back to time and time again. We don't look outward. We don't look inward. 
We look upward. We don't try to accomplish based on our own willpower, right? And that doesn't mean we get rid of ourselves. No, we, we align our will with God's will. We allow the things that he wants, the things that he desires to become things that I want, the things that I desire. We spend time together in, a, in an arena, you know, of sorts, not, not praising players and, and the hard work and the talent goes into that. And it's not all bad, but to praise and worship our Father and to assume a posture of thankfulness and gratitude and worship to our God, the creator, not the created things, the creator. So we're going to practice that together as we close today. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. The example that you gave, that you love us so much, you were willing to give up everything, Jesus, for us, for me. Heavenly Father, help us to not hold tight to the things in our lives, but to hold loosely everything that you ultimately have given us. In your name we pray, amen.